the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a fabulous uh, Saturday. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're tuning in, of course, this is Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi. And today, uh, we are going to continue with the theme that has to do with the Tawheed Dilemma. And remember, again, I want to just share with you what the, the word Tawheed mean. Tawheed, think of it this way, is the opposite of the Trinity. A Muslim, in their mind, they will counter, uh, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity by claiming that the Quran actually does not teach the Trinity or approve of the Trinity. Because in the mind of the Muslim, basically God and the author of the Quran, the Trinity is the worship of three gods, which is totally, totally false. That's not what the doctrine of the Trinity, the biblical doctrine of the Trinity is all about. And number two, in the mind of the Muslim, the word Tawheed means absolute oneness. And therefore, the doctrine of Tawheed is the worship of one God versus in their mind, the doctrine of the Trinity is the worship of three gods. Now, let me tell you the problem. As I stated, the Trinity doesn't mean the worship of three gods. It's just the uh, a terminology that was given by Tertullian uh, early 4th century to uh, label uh, this teaching, the doctrine, the worship of the one triune God. So it's just an attempt to give a label to something that is biblical all along. It's nothing that something was invented later, nothing that is something that is not biblical. It's actually a biblical doctrine the worship of the one triune God, the reason why it's one, because God is one in essence, one in nature, but three in distinct persons. And we, as you've heard before, myself and Sam Shimon, who is not joining us today uh, uh, but because he's, uh, you know, uh, taking a break uh, for a couple of weeks. But nevertheless, he will continue with us that uh, wonderful series that we've been doing together, which we will, by the way, end up doing the same series on video on YouTube at some point this year. So me and Sam are piggybacking now to do a lot of podcasts and a lot of videos together on these tough issues. Uh, so back again to the other problem for our Muslim friends. So not only that the author of the Quran missed it up completely, and which is a proof that the author of the Quran is not the God that we worship, our God will not deny himself and his nature by claiming that the Trinity is the worship of three gods when, in fact, he himself revealed to us that he is one in essence and three in persons in the Bible. And I say this because our Muslim friends think and assume that the God of Islam is the God of the Bible. And number two, the word Tawheed, sadly, for our Muslim friends, doesn't mean oneness. It means unification. There you have it. 
So you have a problem here. You're unifying deities. You're, you, or, you know, in this case, Muslims will argue, no, it doesn't mean that, but it's unification of worship towards one God, unification of honor and glory towards one God, but it doesn't mean one or absolute oneness. So they, our Muslim friends, have also an issue to deal with. And thirdly, our Muslim friends will claim also that because the doctrine of the Trinity doesn't exist in the Bible, uh, I should say that the word Trinity doesn't exist in the Bible, that's evidence of biblical corruption, meaning that the Bible has been tampered with. Well, we ask the same question. Where is the word Tawheed in the Quran? And the fact that the word Tawheed in the Quran doesn't exist, that's also evidence of Quranic tampering with and corruption. I mean, it goes both ways. I mean, you can't just have it one way only. If you want to play that card, we will play that card gladly. Having said that, today I am going to talk about another topic that will piggyback on this issue of Tawheed Dilemma. Why do we call it Tawheed Dilemma? Remember, in the Muslim mind, Tawheed means the worship of one God who is basically worthy of honor, glory, and worship, and the list can go on and on and on. If that's the case, then the Quran should never have a single shred of evidence that someone else share in the same glory, the same honor, and the same respect, and the same divine authority, and the same uh, you know, basically, um, uh, worship uh, entitlement. What we have discovered so far, and we've shared uh, with you, myself, uh, and also sometime with Sam Shamoun, uh, not only on the podcast, but even on my own Facebook page, by the way, if you go there to alfadi.sira, you'll see that I have a whole bunch of posts that I have listed concerning the fact that Muhammad actually is a co-partner with Allah. In fact, uh, pretty soon, we will be releasing brand new YouTube videos where I did a number of those already, myself alone. Uh, we did it um, in our studios, and we talked about some of these passages that clearly state that Muhammad is the recipient of glory, honor, and worship, making him a co-partner and a co-equal to Allah. Let's take a look at one of those problems. If you go to our Facebook page, it was on March 4th, uh, I should say March 3rd, that we have posted another one of those Tawheed Dilemma. This time has to do with the concept of intercession. And this particular one focuses on chapter 10 of the Quran, verse 18. Chapter 10 of the Quran, verse 18. Let me read that verse for you first uh, with a number of translations, number of English translations by either Muslim uh, translators or uh, Orientalists that focus on Islam. Bechthel, a Muslim translator, says, um, They worship beside Allah that which neither uh, hurteth them nor profit them, meaning neither hurt or profit them. And they say, These are our intercessors with Allah. Say, Would you inform Allah of something that he knoweth not in the heavens or in the earth? Praise be he, and high exalted above all that ye associate with him. It is another translation by another Muslim, Yusuf Ali. They serve beside God things that hurt them not, nor profit them. And they say, these are our intercessors with God. Say, do ye indeed inform God of something he knows not in the heavens or on earth? Glory to him. And far is he above the partners they associate 
or they ascribe to him. I'm going to read another one by another couple of Muslims, Hilali and Khan, Muhsin Khan and also Hilali. Uh, together they have their own translation and it reads for this verse, chapter 10, verse 18, their translation, Hilali and Khan says, and they worship besides Allah things that hurt them not nor profit them. And they say, these are our intercessors with Allah, say, do you inform Allah of that which he knows not in the heavens and on the earth? Glorified and exalted be he above all that which they associate as partner with him. Now, I'm just going to stop right here for now. There's more translations that I can read for you. But here's the issue. What is it that this verse is talking about? The verse is talking about this claim that supposedly the pagan Arabs at the time of Muhammad were saying that we worship idols beside your God simply because these idols intercede on our behalf with the creator of the universe, Allah. By the way, the pagan Arabs acknowledged a God by the name Allah, which is interesting because Muhammad basically says, no, it's only Allah alone without the idols. So Muhammad adopted a name of a God that the pagans already are familiar with. The only difference is the pagans at the time of Muhammad says, we cannot worship your God, the exalted one, because he is transcendent God directly. Therefore, these idols that we worship intercede on our behalf. We see the idols, we touch the idols, they, you know, supposedly in their mind, they know who we are and we know who they are. Therefore, we worship through him, through them. The argument that chapter 10 verse 18 is stating is that Allah got upset with this and says, if you use intercessors, that means you claim that I don't have any knowledge, that I am not an omniscient God, that I don't know anything and you need someone, an intercessor to intervene between you and me to share the things that you uh, that you need. Why would you worship idols as intercessors? Because you have needs and you ask these idols to intercede between you and supposedly Allah to tell Allah about the needs and therefore Allah got offended and says, you're saying, I do not know what's going on in your life and I do not know why you need certain things. That's interesting. So Allah is claiming a concept of intercession is a direct violation of his omniscient attribute and an insult of his knowledge. Okay, well, as always, we love these kind of things because we are going to show you now that there are more than pass, uh, one passage in the Quran that also says intercession will not take place. So, for instance, chapter 2, verse 47 to 48 in the Quran stated the following. O children of Israel, call to mind my favor which I bestowed on you, and that I made you excel the nations, and be on your guard against a day when one soul shall not avail another in the least. Neither shall intercession on its behalf be accepted. So, on judgment day, God is telling the Israelites, don't even count on anyone to intercede on your behalf to save you. Okay? Let's go on to another one. In verse, in chapter 2, verse 254, it says, All you who believe, spend out of what we have given you before the day comes in which there is no bargaining, neither any friend nor intercession. Notice, there comes a day when you are going to wish you have someone to intercede between you and God, and God, the God of Islam, is saying, don't even count on someone interceding on your behalf. 
It is a whole bunch of lists, by the way, you know. So, for instance, uh, chapter 4, verse 123 to 124 said the exact same thing. Nor will he find besides God any protector or helper, comforter, okay? Chapter 6, verse 51 says, there is no guardian for them, nor any intercessor beside him. Chapter 9, verse 51 says, say, nothing will happen to us except what Allah has decreed for us. He is our protector. And on Allah, let the believers put their trust. Therefore, there'll be no helper, no comforter for you except from Allah. If that's the case, then why in the world our Muslim friends keep telling us that Muhammad is their intercessor? And why are they claiming all the time that he is the counselor, the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit of John chapter 14, John chapter 15, and John chapter 16? It seems to me that our Muslim friends basically are unable to distinguish between God's commands, God's commands, and what the Quran teaches. And therefore, they themselves are in direct violation violation, basically, of what the Quran is teaching. Now, it gets even better. Now, Muhammad himself, actually, is the one that have violated what the Quran that he supposedly brought is stating about intercession. Let me read a short hadith tradition. Narrated Abu Huraira, when Allah revealed the verse, warn your nearest kinsmen, Allah's apostle got up and said, O people of Quraysh, or said similar words. Buy, uh, meaning save yourselves from the hellfire, as I cannot save you from Allah's punishment. O Bani Abdumanaf, this is a tribe basically, I cannot save you from Allah's punishment. O Safiya, the aunt of Allah's apostle, his aunt, I cannot save you from Allah's punishment. O Fatima bint Muhammad, his own daughter, ask me anything. From my wealth, but I cannot save you from Allah's punishment. This is found in Sahih Bukhari, Volume 4, Book 51, Number 16. Okay? And uh, then, uh, it, clearly, Muhammad is stating here, I'm not going to be able to intercede on your behalf. I am not your comforter. I am not your protector. I am not your intercessor. Then we get to the Quran and we have another contradiction now. So one set of the Quran says no intercession and Muhammad appears to be agreeing with that. And he says to his aunt, his tribe, his own daughter, sorry, can't help you that day. And then we get to the Quran and the Quran all of a sudden is saying, oh, by the way, intercession is allowed. Chapter 10, verse 3, for instance, verily, your Lord is Allah who created the heavens and the earth in six days and is firmly established on the throne, regulating and governing all things. No intercession, no intercessor can believe with him except after his permission. So now we get an idea that Allah somehow is allowing people to intercede. So in this case, Allah is already violating his own argument that intercession means that he lacks knowledge and he's not an omniscient God. He's not a perfectly omniscient God. Now Allah somehow have no problem having somebody to intercede on behalf of his people. And we find the same argument repeated in chapters like 21 verse 25 to 29, 
chapter 34, verse 23, chapter 40, verses 4 to 9, chapter 43, verse, uh, uh, verse 86, chapter 53, verse 26, and the list can go on and on and on. And now we get to the Hadith. And in the Hadith, we begin to see something related to the fact that Muhammad also is stating that he will intercede on behalf of his people. There is a lengthy hadith tradition. We're going to read part of it. Narrated uh, Ma'bad ibn Hilal al-Anzi, al-Anzi, okay? Ma'bad ibn Hilal al-Anzi, he read, We, some people from Basra, gathered and went to Anas ibn Malik, and we went in a company of Thabit, Al-Bunani, so that he might ask him about the hadith of intercession on our behalf. Behold, Anas was in the palace, and our arrival coincided with the du'a prayer, with the uh, du'a prayer. We asked permission to enter, and he admitted us. Uh, I I think they meant a du'a prayer, by the way. They just had a mistypo here in this hadith. And uh, we asked for uh, permission to enter, and he admitted us while he was sitting on his bed. We said to Thabit, do not ask him about anything else first but the hadith of intercession. He says, O Abu Hamza, there are your brethren from Basra coming to ask you about the hadith of intercession. Anas then said, Muhammad talked to us saying, on the day of resurrection, meaning the day of judgment, the people will surge with each other like waves. And then they will come to Adam and say, please intercede for us with your Lord. He will say, I am not fit for that, but you'd better go to Abraham as he is the Khalil of the Beneficent, meaning he is the friend of God. They will go to Abraham and he will say, I am not fit for that, but you'd better go to Moses as he is the one to whom Allah spoke directly. He's the one that spoke face-to-face with God. Even the Quran acknowledges this. Moses will say, so they will go to Moses and he will say, I am not fit for that. But you'd better go to Jesus, as he is the soul created by Allah and his word. Okay? They will go to Jesus and he will say, I am not fit for that. But you'd better go to Muhammad. They would come to me. Now, Muhammad is the one who's speaking. And I would say, I am for that, meaning I am fit to be an intercessor. Then I will ask for my Lord's permission, and it will be given. Wow. So this hadith tradition, by the way, is a very lengthy one. And you can find it, for instance, in Sahih Bukhari, volume 9, book 93, number 601. And it has variations of this hadith. So what's the point? Why are we talking about this? I just want to show you a taste of the contradictions that always exist between the primary sources of Islam. In fact, within each of these sources. In the Quran alone, we just showed you that the Quran contradicted itself. In chapter 10, verse basically 18, the Quran made the claim that if anyone were to intercede on behalf of anyone else, then Allah will get offended because this means that Allah is not an omniscient God. But yet, in the same chapter, chapter 10, verse 3, Allah says he will allow certain people to intercede. 
In the Hadith tradition, Muhammad says in one saying that he is not going to intercede on behalf of anyone, including his daughter. All of a sudden, Muhammad now is willing to intercede on behalf of the whole group of people on the Day of Judgment, not just his daughter. So what in the world is going on here? Which tradition should we believe and which verse should we believe? These are the kind of things that I want my Muslim friends to wake up to, realize that they have to make up their mind. There is contradiction and they need to realize it. If they, You cannot pick one over the other. It's not about... Uh, you know, basically baking your cake and eating it too. You can't make something, you know, uh, up and then claim that it is only suitable for this situation and it's not suitable for that. These passages are very clear. In the Arabic, it's even as clear as daylight. I mean, you read it, it's right there. It's clear. We're reading just from English translation for the benefit of those that do not speak Arabic, including many Muslims that do not speak Arabic, by the way, sadly. So this is why we bring up things like this. And why is that a big deal? Who said that intercession on behalf of someone else means God doesn't know anything? No, it shows God's mercy. It shows that God allows someone to speak on behalf of others. It shows that God is listening to those that represent a group. And only Jesus Christ is our high priest who intercedes on our behalf. The Holy Spirit is the one that is interceding on our behalf because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one and the same. This is why the Bible teaches about intercession, the need for someone to intercede on our behalf. Our Lord defend us against the accuser, that's Satan, that's what the scripture says, who goes and accuses us, and our Lord is our lawyer, attorney, defender, who stands before the prosecutor, that's God, and making a case for our behalf. What a wonderful thing, because we cannot enter into the presence of God without the presence of Jesus himself in our life, without being washed by the blood of Christ, without being saved by his uh, his work on the cross. So this is why it's extremely important. And the Quran seems to be wave, uh, uh, basically waffling and, uh, you know, vacillating between whether intercessor is allowed or not allowed. Is it allowed? Is it not allowed? Are someone allowed to represent others or not? Can people ask for intercessor or helper or not? And if no intercessor, helper, protector, or comforter is allowed, then why are our Muslim friends basically claiming that Muhammad is their comforter, helper, intercessor of John 14 out of all places? John 14, verses 15 and 16 and verse 25. And also in John 15, verse 25 and 26. And in John 16, verse 7. Why in the world are they appealing to something that it seems to be in direct contradiction to their own primary sources and that's why it is extremely important for us, dear brothers and sisters, to help our Muslim friends realize these contradictions. And also, if you're a Muslim listening, it is extremely important for you that you need to realize also that there is a problem here and you have to deal with it. You have to deal with it. Having said so, I, as always, I encourage you to go then to our Facebook page, and I'm going to give you the personal page, which is alfadi.sira, and that's A as in Apple, L as in Luma, F as in Frank, A as in Apple, D as in David, I, dot, Sira, C as in Charlie, I, R as in Romeo, A as in Apple, alfadi.sira. You go there, we have tons of these posts, very short, very succinct, straight to the point, 
you can use them and share them with others as well. You can also go to our ministry page, The Al-Fadi, and another one for Sira, Sira International. But I encourage you also to go and subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is Sira International. That's C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A International. Subscribe. And we also prayerfully ask you to consider becoming a Patreon patron. What does that mean? Meaning that you can even donate to our channel and to our work as little as $1 and as much as the Lord puts in your heart. And all of these will be extremely helpful for us to allow us to stay on the air, do these podcasts, produce more videos. And our hope is like we can release these videos on a daily basis instead of releasing them once or twice a week because the production of these videos takes a lot of time, effort, and money, obviously. So we, are, uh, we thank you in advance for this. And you can always go to our website, Sierra International, and listen to the podcast for Let Us Reason. We're approaching the end of our show. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your partnership with us. May the Lord bless you richly. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.